to another episode of the Business Discourse. And on today's episode, we have a person I love to annoy on campus. We have the one, the only. Why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> hey, 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 I'm Iman. A lot of you know me as the student support and office coordinator on campus, Brampton campus to be specific. But it's great to be here and to support OBS. And over to you, Reza. Well, I'm very curious as to what you think the pandemic has been like for students as you are a student support. Oh, uh, well, I think there's there's only one word for it. They've all gone crazy. Um, it's uncharted territory. They don't know how to take online classes, how to navigate the online learning systems, uh, get their courses in order. That's always been um, an area that students struggle in. So that came to the forefront with, you know, getting academic advising over email or scheduling video appointments, which they sometimes don't even show up to. So mm. overall, I think uh, students have, uh, they've dealt with a lot. Well, the pandemic, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it really, it really is a difficult time. Not only are they dealing with academic stress at this time, but a lot of these students, they're international and they're dealing with the financial um aspect of the pandemic as well. A lot of students are out of jobs. Um, A lot of uh, parents are out of jobs. And that has a trickle down effect to the Mm. students. So yeah, overall, I think uh, kudos to the students that have made it through and have uh, been able to stay sane throughout. (laughs) And kudos to you for doing this during the pandemic. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, the uh, podcast at OBS has all been uh, very... Uh, we could say work heavy during the pandemic to be, <laughs> you know, there, there's always a lot to do. Um, well, you know, the, you, you were talking about being a student and I'm really curious because for me, I was a student in Saudi Arabia as a high school student. And then for university, I came to Canada and mm-hmm. with you, I know, obviously, your background's from being in Pakistan. So what was that like, your transition from Pakistan to Canada in terms of education? Okay, so in terms of education, um, wow, the, it's just such a big difference. Um, I was a transfer student at Algoma. So I did half of my bachelor's back home and then the other half at Algoma. And the mm-hmm. biggest, um, what would you say, contrast was the fact that um, I, Pakistan, they really heavily rely on structure, rules. Students are expected to rote learn uh, most literature. They're expected to regurgitate definitions. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, outside-the-box thinking that's encouraged. Even group projects, they're very limited in terms of uh, you know, the creativity that you could possibly explore and display. Yeah. However, when I came here, um, I remember the, the biggest surprise for me was the way the professors interacted with the students. It was so casual. It was uh, friendly. And I didn't realize, I mean, it, for me, it was a surprise because uh, back home, you have a very strict relationship. It's that of a you know, senior master and then like an apprentice. And there's the unspoken boundary that you're not supposed to cross. But yeah. and yeah, you don't think of them as friends, not at all. You're they're supposed to be treated with respect. You cannot question them. So uh, if you think the professor is saying something that you know you you might think is untrue, 
no way can you actually you know say but hey i think you might be wrong there or <laughs> okay you know maybe i this is what i read maybe this is what that is but over mm-hmm. here i mean i used to like uh speak up in class and uh be it uh you know jim bird or seymour or any other professor or like richard de clerk i would just say my um thoughts, <laughs> thoughts. Without, yeah. yeah without any hesitation so that was like that was new and yeah. then uh, just the, the the ability to really like explore the subject think outside the box uh more application of the subject matter you weren't even expected to like know the definitions word for word because that's actually plagiarism <laughs> so yeah i mean all of this was just like wow i was uh, awestruck and uh, also happy that i made the decision to switch universities so yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So, well, first things first. I, the thing you were saying about oh, you can't even speak out against teachers back in Pakistan. So, instead, yeah. we actually have a very funny experience with this. So, this is biology class, I think. Yeah. Ninth mm-hmm. grade or t- tenth grade, right? And the professor was talking about the term hermaphrodite, right? Mm-hmm. And he was like, "I don't remember what exactly he said anymore." But I said no, and he got. so upset he mm-hmm. I, i was out of the class i wasn't welcome back in the class for two weeks <laughs> right like mm-hmm. I, i had to go talk to my superior like academic vice principals and stuff and be like dude i was just saying this is not the definition that goes around and oh yeah I, that just reminds me of it it's so it's so weird like the you can't they could be completely wrong like a professor could tell you 2 plus 2 equals 7 and you're like yeah. okay tell me more tell me more <laughs> yeah you have to take it as the gospel truth oh my god so this reminds me of uh, of the thing that happened to me back home when i was in university mm-hmm. so we had this course called computer applications and i don't know why we were assigned uh issues in the world to make yeah. presentations on and i uh, me and my group got the syrian war and okay. i'm yeah yeah so our professor was clearly local but yeah so <laughs> so the interesting thing is so in my presentation i obviously talked about iran and saudi arabia and how they're involved and i talked about how bashar al-assad is a shia yeah. and he's like no he's not he refused it he's like no you're wrong and i'm just looking at him and i'm like <laughs> but you know all my research everything on google says that he is a shia like all the newspaper articles and he he just outright refused to believe me stole the entire class that i was wrong and in the end i was like fine dude have it your way he's not shia not like my saying he's not shia won't make him not a shia and guess what the like a few weeks later he came to me and he's like you know you were right i i did some research and he is a shia and i just looked at him and i was like um Okay, thank you. Why don't you tell the entire class the, the entire <laughs> class that you basically said told that I was an idiot because I didn't do my research. And he was like, "It's okay, you know, like uh, you were right. Congratulations, you did, you know, good work." And that was it. So the entire <laughs> class thought that I was a dumbo, and the professor was this like uh, intellectually, you know, superb guy that uh, pointed out a big error. But yeah, it was just so infuriating. Ah, uh, but I I understand that completely because you're just like okay, look, it, it's it, you know plotted for say having the guts to admit you're wrong, but it's not that you were just wrong; it's that you publicly humiliated someone else, and now yeah. you're like, 
I would do it to myself. Like, no, you, it's my reputation too. Exactly. And then he didn't even like acknowledge it in front of the entire class. So to them, I was just some idiot. And, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so that stuck with me. And um, yeah, yeah, so that's really a big difference between the system here and the system in Pakistan. It, it sounds silly to ask, right? But what was the driving factor behind moving from Pakistan to Canada, especially when it comes to universities? Because you transferred uh, halfway through, right? Um. So, well, I mean, one of the most typical reasons was obviously better opportunities, better standard of living. And to be honest, Reza, I mean, uh, back home, you're so used to the system. You know how it works. It's not challenging. Mm. At least for me, I spent two years there. I knew exactly what the professors want, how to get the grades. I was still on the dean's list. I I was on a scholarship. So it wasn't like I wasn't doing well academically there. Had I continued, I probably would have gotten the gold medal. Mm -hmm. But it was just not intellectually stimulating for me. It didn't feel like a challenge. And when I looked at options, you know, I, I was exploring options of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, going to either USA. My sister was in USA. Uh, I looked at Canada, I looked at the UK, and then Algoma, uh, you know, came up in my search. And uh, it seemed to be an affordable yet good university. So mm -hmm. I chose it. Well, that makes sense. Well, you know, what was the driving factor behind saying not the US and not the UK? Because I have an inkling of what it is, but I'm very curious. Ooh, I want to know what your inkling is now. <laughs> so, okay, I think the reason you didn't transfer uh, was because 2016 was Trump's election and mm -hmm. 2016 was also Brexit. So I'm mm -hmm. assuming those were your two reasons. Well, you got the US, right? Uh, Brexit, UK, I, I, yeah, I mean, it did play a huge role in, you know, making me not go to the UK, but more so it was just the cost. It's too expensive and you're paying in pound and like the rupee was just so weak against. I mean, for international students, you need to remember affordability is a huge issue, right? Yeah. So that that was a huge contributing factor. And then for the US, like Trump, Trump happened. And the other thing was I wanted to go somewhere where I can make my own mark. My mm. sister was already in Boston. She already had the Fulbright. She did her master's. She got the Provost Scholarship. She was doing her PhD. So she had already, you know, like, mark that as her territory yeah so yeah even though i mean i got into boston university and everything but i just didn't pursue it because i wanted to go into uncharted territory and leave a you know a life behind you know that robert yeah. frost uh poem so well, yeah i i know the one you're referring to um, personally i'm not mm -hmm. a big uh i actually really do think robert frost work is amazing i just don't listen to as much poetry oh i'm a poetry I buff <laughs> Sorry. Poetry is fine. To be fair, I yeah. actually had to write a lot of poetry back in uh, seventh mm -hmm. and eighth grade, but that that is a different time. Um, so on, on you know, uh, making a path for yourself, I understand that. You know, for me personally, mm -hmm. like my brother's in the UK, that did play into me saying I don't want to go to the UK, right? Mm -hmm. Because you want you kind of want to be your own thing and I think yeah. a lot of the time for because we're both Pakistani I think it's uh, reasonable for me to say in our culture it kind of tends to be well if something works why fix it right so seeing yeah. okay, your brother did well in the U.S. Uh, sorry your sister did well in the U.S. so why don't you, you could do well in the U.S. too yeah that's that's the attitude 
But I just, I wanted to also, when you go somewhere, you don't have a, a support system already in place. You get to learn uh, about yourself a lot more and you mm-hmm. grow as a person uh, much more than you would have if you already had, you know, a house set up for you, a room set up for you and like everything just picture perfect and ready for you to just enter and settle in. So oh, yeah. yeah, that was all, uh, that all, you know, played a part in my decision to come to Canada, to come to Brampton, mm-hmm. uh, which I feel like is uh, the Desi galore. Any any person coming from India, Pakistan or Southeast Asia really would love to come to Brampton and Mississauga. Yeah, but no, I, definitely. Yeah, it, uh-huh, but it all, I think it all just worked out. Well, you know, I, I do agree it worked out. Um, but I'm more curious about that transition then. Because, you know, you mentioned you didn't have a support system. Um, then what was it like transitioning uh, from, you know, living with family, I'm assuming, in Pakistan, or, you know, at least close enough, uh, to then coming to Canada, where, as far as I'm aware, you know, uh, you were the only person from your family here. And really in Brampton, you were setting up your own thing for the first time. So what was that really like? Oh, it was hard. It was <laughs> difficult and it was hard. There is no other way to put it. Uh, the winter was brutal, as all Canadian winter is. Um, mm-hmm. But I uh, I had my sister come with me and she stayed with me for about five days, to be exact. And <laughs> okay. then she left. And in that five days, we found um, a place for me. And she bought a few necessities. And then she was like, here you go, take the reins. And now this is your life. (laughs) So so I basically had to learn to live on my own, uh, Mm -hmm. cook for myself, learn the the public transit system here. Because back home, we all had cars and uh, chauffeurs. Because that's just the, it's not that we were super rich, which I have to tell people because they just, they hear the word (laughs) chauffeur and they're like, whoa, are you loaded? It's just the culture back home, you know, middle class, you still get to have a driver. It's like, it's significantly cheaper as the middle class in Pakistan to have like a maid come by every two days, right? It's just a normal thing because the wages there are nothing. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're basically shit, but it's, it's okay because it's the norm. It's not okay. It's not okay, Raza. (laughs) 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 It's not okay. Yeah, I agree. Because a lot of these people's livelihoods are affected by the fact that government there really fails to protect them. Especially, you know, uh, during the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about the... So for the listeners who don't know, in Pakistan, we have a system called daily waging. Essentially, Mm -hmm. it means that you will receive your salary every day. So... You work every day and you get paid every day. But what happens during a pandemic when there's no work? Well, you're not getting paid anymore whatsoever. So, and a lot of these daily waiter jobs are things like cleaning or driving or really, you could say the quote unquote butler duties, right? But those people have struggled immensely during this. Yeah, you know, I think that's kind of the thing of where, like, there's a lot that's like, oh, it's okay, but really, really, it's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's the lives of people at the end of the day. Well, you know, uh, speaking of, like, the lives of people, uh, I, I'm curious if you've ever done community work or worked in an NPO or anything, especially because, you know, recently we, as OBS, just got done with an NPO internship with Maisha, and that was an experience. Uh, learning one definitely um, 
Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how um, if you've ever had any experience in that industry. Oh yes, lots actually. So uh, back home is where I basically did all my uh, volunteer work. Mm-hmm. But um, let's see, I've taught at an uh, at a school for underprivileged students, and mm-hmm. I used to teach them English. So I did that for about eight months. I used to go on the weekends. Yeah, I used to teach kids from um, grade four. And they were basically, you know, uh, the children of um, street vendors or maids who don't uh, don't have the money to go to a proper school, but would yeah. just go to this, uh, you know, this uh, what what like I'm trying to think of the English. Tra- yeah, 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 exactly. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah, so I did that, and then I also worked for this place called the Welfare Association for the Ill and Deprived. This was uh, a spin-off society uh, connected to a hospital, a very prominent hospital in Karachi called Ziauddin. And we did actually uh, a donation drive for them. And we raised quite a lot of money. The equivalent in Canadian dollars is about $1,000 to $1,500. But the exchange rate is, a a Canadian dollar right now is 124 rupees. So it was a lot. Yeah, so we we used to mm -hmm, go ahead. uh, Yeah, sorry, I was just going to say, um, a thousand to a thousand five hundred dollars isn't like here. There's also a thing to keep in mind that minimum wage here is about fourteen dollars an hour in Ontario. There Mm -hmm. is no minimum wage that high in Pakistan, no, especially when you have daily wagers. So a thousand dollars there isn't just like equivalent to a thousand dollars converted. It's equivalent to, I'd say about. $2,500 $2,500 even uh, like after you convert it just because of the differences in uh, purchasing power. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So uh, keeping that in mind, yeah, so I did that. And then um, I also volunteered at um, National Institute of Child Healthcare, where we basically uh, used to go to the pediatric to pediatric department and we used to talk to them about sanitation and uh better health practices. We even redid their nursery. And by redoing, I mean, we actually painted the walls and used stencils to create cute objects like animals and teddy bears on the walls. Yeah, because this was, again, also a government-run hospital. So uh, the facility in itself was quite uh, run down. Mm-hmm. And this is a third world country. So you can imagine uh, the, the vast difference that uh, they would be in a government hospital in Canada versus one in Pakistan. So yeah. for them, that that was amazing. And, uh, we redid the entire nursery, and the little kids that were so so happy. <laughs> you you cannot you cannot match the smile on like a two year old or a three year old when they're pointing towards the the bunny on the wall. <laughs> to anything in the world, really. It's the sweet innocent kids, really, right? I I have like two uh, nieces right now. Uh, mm-hmm. One who's about to turn two soon. I'm just like. When they get happy about something, you're just like, what? Why do you have this like insane amount of joy for like the smallest thing? Right? But it's, it's so cute. It is, and you know, you you really miss that, don't you? I mean, I do. Just that pure, unadulterated happiness <laughs> about the smallest of things. Because I mean, you look at our lives; we are bogged down by so many things, and they're just they, for them. The world is literally what they're gonna eat, what they're gonna drink what they're going to play with, and when they're going to speak. That's it. Yeah, it's very simple, yeah. Yeah. I wish we could uh, go back to that simple living. 
I, I, yeah, no, I definitely agree. I do think people nowadays are a bit too burdened with work. Uh, like, it, it, you know, 40 hours of your week at least go straight to work and then trying to get to sleep. You know, if you mm. were conservative, you'd probably say seven times seven, which, if I'm not mistaken, is 48. 49. 49. Oh, my God. Okay. My, my math has gotten weaker. <laughs> but that's 49, right? And even then, you yeah. should sleep eight hours so actually mm-hmm. there should be even more there 56 yeah. yes yes 56 <laughs> <laughs> so you, you know you should be getting a lot more sleep and there's a lot more to do and it ends up being very much so that people don't have time yeah but speaking of balancing work just generally you work essentially from the same place you graduated from uh, which is Algoma for both working and graduating mm-hmm. so you know, actually, I'm very curious, what was graduation like, especially when the campus used to be smaller? Oh, wow. So you want to know about my journey when I started to where I am now, essentially, correct? Yeah. All right. So when I started at Algoma, um, my orientation, I'm going to start with like the first day. My orientation right. was uh, Joanne Watson, a very kind lady who used to be in the office upstairs. Uh, walking me to the third floor and then showing me the two classrooms on the lobby and giving me the starter kit welcome bag. And that was it. Mm -hmm. She was just like, this is your campus. And these are a few things we, you know, give all our new students and adios amigo. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I had to figure out uh, what my classes are. And we had what, 60 students, 50 or 60 students. But it really boiled down to just like the 10 students you had in every class because the people had different schedules. So uh, virtually, I basically didn't see the same amount of people you would at any other university like U of D or Ryerson or York. Definitely not the same amount you would see now. So, uh, yeah. I was going to say, like, even now, uh, yeah, you're still getting less students than you would in any big university because a big university would have a uh, hundred plus students in basically the same class. Whereas here, the most I think I've been in is probably 25. Mm-hmm. But we also pride ourselves with small classroom sizes. And that is something mm-hmm. I'm very happy that we haven't uh, sacrificed or uh, compromised on. Uh, mm-hmm. But coming back to, you know, the, the difference in numbers, you would be surprised if uh, if you'd come to Algoma in 2016 or 2017, uh, it would have been pretty much a dead university. So we think about it from going from zero to going to 100. Uh, yeah. So for me, student life was primarily uh, nothing. We didn't <laughs> have any events on campus. Yeah. At least now you have OBS doing stuff or we do stuff, but the, the, the most anyone would do would be bring treats on Christmas or Halloween and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was just literally coming to campus, attending class and then going home. But <laughs> I, I took on tutoring. So I used to live on campus because of that. I tried to fill all of my hours with just teaching people all the accounting mm-hmm. courses and all the math courses I could. But I, I mean, and I took six courses for like the five semesters I was at Algoma. I took six courses for three of them so that I could finish in the two years that I'd given myself. I wanted to do my undergrad in four years in total, and I'd done two back home. So for me, I just knew that it cannot be more than two years. I don't want it to be more than four years. It was just like a personal goal. 
So when I finished, uh, I was always, you know, driven and I wanted to excel academically. So when I uh, got the average I got, I was very pleased. And then when I found out <laughs> that I, it was the highest, I, yeah. I gave myself a pat on the back for, you know, uh, it's it seemed to validate my journey. And it it was, even though it was just, you know, a number, it made it all worth it. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, it was, yeah. It was essentially your, oh, um, this is the proof of like all the hard work did kind of pay off. Yeah, it it was. And also because for me, coming from a completely different education system, completely different country, and making my, you know, mark here, like going through the culture shock, readjustment, uh, you know, getting through all the courses, some courses I didn't initially get. And then, you know, it was uh, trial and error with the quizzes or the assignments. But when I saw that final mark, um, it it made me... (laughs) It is self-validate. It was more self-validation than anything. It made me say to myself, "Okay, man, you did this. You you yeah. you made it." You know. So it was uh, it was a very um, hurrah achievement for me. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was awesome. very like you know you you did what you wanted to do. You're really happy with it. You know? Yeah, I, it's a victory lap, and it's your own victory lap. There's nothing sweeter than that, right? Exactly. And uh, a lot of students, you know, would always be like, yeah, you know, she she says she's not uh, doing well in the course or she's not studying and she'd still get the highest grade. And it used to make me actually feel bad because I'd be like, oh, my God, you know, am I doing something wrong by getting the highest grade or getting marks more than other people are? Because Mm. students have a way of, you know, making yourself doubt. So um, when I when I finally was given the appreciation and the acknowledgement that, OK, you know, she is the valedictorian, she did end up getting the highest uh, average. It was it felt good because I saw my peers also clapping for me. And I was like, OK, well, maybe I might have uh, rubbed some people the wrong way, but at least now they're there to cheer me on because I delivered the thanks on behalf of the entire graduating class. And although, I mean, I wrote the the speech in a day and it was just like, I'm sitting down and I was like, I'm going to do this today and I'm not going to get up till I'm done. And I borrowed a quote from Steve Jobs, which uh, I really like. Uh, the quote, mm. not Steve Jobs, although um, <laughs> what he did was awesome and created what Apple. What was the whatever. quote? <laughs> uh, you cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. And then there was like a lot of uh, other stuff he said, but that was the gist of it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you cannot, and it resonated for me on a very deep and personal level, because when I, uh, you know, when I came to Canada, I was making a lot of decisions that I didn't know uh, what the end product's going to be or what the result is going to be. But when I stood on that stage and I was giving the address, I could actually for myself also look back and see how all my decisions connected to that big moment. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, no, there's a lot of that's a very nice yeah. quote. <laughs> it's 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 a lot better than what I just said, but I mean that was the gist of it. But yeah, it was very <laughs> introspective, and uh, yeah, my journey from you know being a student to graduating is just it was a bumpy ride, but it was all worth it at the end. Well, you know, you obviously not only did you graduate from it, now you're working at Alcoma. But b- before you worked at Alcoma, did you manage to work anywhere else? 
Um, actually, I did. So uh, when I was uh, a student, I also mm-hmm. worked part time at on time uh, carriers. It's a trucking company and uh, they were nice enough to hire me uh, so that I could gain some hands on accounting experience. I didn't get a lot of hours in because they did have an entire team of accountants full time employed and they were taking care of the full cycle accounting and all the remittances and everything. But I was there to, you know, learn and they did let me take, you know, they did let me uh, do some full cycle accounting, especially when somebody was off and they'd be like, can you come in? So, yeah, yeah, I I did. And also, uh, you know, a bit of administration work was given to me. I used to get maybe um, six hours to max 10 hours a week. So, you know, it's not a lot, but it helped me appreciate the field more. And it also made me realize that, yes, accounting is what I want to pursue. Because when you're studying, you you get, you know, you get the theoretical knowledge, but when you actually apply it on the job is when you realize, okay, is this what I want to build my career in or do I want to try something else? So uh, I did uh, end up working there for about six to seven months whenever they'd get, you know, um, space for me or like uh, hours to spare that they could pay me for, they'd call me in and then I would help out. Yeah, and I, you know, having an experience like that, that really builds to saying, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do. I think that's pretty cool. Like, uh, yeah. I think that's, uh, it's not about, okay, am I making the money from it, right? It's more like, get the experience, get it on your CV, uh, and kind of rationalize, do you really want to do this going forward? What was the, you know, what brought you back to Algoma uh, to work? Well, um, I'm going to be very honest. I did not plan it. Mm -hmm. I thought that once I graduated, I would probably, you know, see Algoma or my buddies from Algoma at a reunion dinner, (laughs) maybe a year down the line or five years down the line. But I guess life had other plans. I had applied to a lot of jobs, but as you know, and you might have come across this already, Uh, In Canada, if you are an international student or if you are not from the country, any experience you have gained outside of Canada is deemed pretty much worthless. Uh, Yeah. So if you don't have Canadian experience, it's very, very hard to land a job in the field that you want to work in and potentially build a career out of. Mm -hmm. So obviously, I mean, I went to a lot of recruiters. I I applied to a lot of jobs. I'm talking like at least 30 jobs a day. And this went on for a month and I would have Workopolis and Indeed and Monster and Glassdoor as like permanent tabs <laughs> in my laptop that would that still doesn't turn off. I mean, I don't turn it off. It's always on sleep. Oh, okay. So it was like a permanent fixture. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I was I was applying. I was getting interviews, uh, you know, phone call interviews, or I was going in person. In fact, the day I was interviewed for Algoma, I had two other interviews as well. Mm-hmm. But um, when I went in, I met Kathy. I met Nadine. I met Yuka. It, it felt like home. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you have a level of comfort already built in a certain place, mm-hmm. it can really, um, you know, you can, it can really like speed up your learning process because you don't have to overcome the initial phase of just being awkward or settling in or not knowing um, the A's from the B's of a place. Yeah. And then uh, the second thing was money, of course, you know, I was uh, living here on my own, I had to pay my own expenses, rent is not cheap. Mm. So there was that. And then uh, the third most important factor for me was the fact that um, 
Algoma is in Brampton. So it's literally like 20 minutes from my place. Yeah. Whereas the other places that I had gotten offers from were either in Mississauga or downtown Toronto. And one was even in Oakville, which was a bitter disappointment because had I known, I wouldn't have even like gone through the recruitment process. But yeah, yeah they, they, they were like, oh yeah, we were considering you for the Mississauga office, but you know, we, we have an opening in Oakville that we need filled immediately. So how about you join there? And I was just like, um, no. It's too much of a headache. Yeah. So it was the commuting time, the expense that would be associated with the commute. I mean, getting to downtown was like $16 each way through the go, uh, the go train. Mm. And at that time, you didn't even have trains running after five. And, you know, like sometimes you have to stay late at work. So it was a lot of these decisions. And uh, also, I mean, I was, Yuka actually reached out to me um, and said, drop me a note once this position was made available again. Because mm-hmm. initially it was uh, closed uh, for uh, interviews. And then I guess they didn't find a candidate. Mm-hmm. So they reached out to me again. And uh, and they reached out to me, and then I interviewed, and the whole process happened. So it, it was a lot of these factors. Also, the you know the there was another thing. I saw a lot of growth potential for growth because School of Business and Economics had just launched. They were in the first year, mm-hmm. and uh, it seemed like a place where I could you know grow not only personally uh, and professionally, but also possibly get to a senior role within the school. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of scope for. Uh, you know, building my own uh, portfolio as I see fit because Kathy and Nadine are just amazing mentors. They always encourage us. And, you know, even like if I want to take on something or introduce an innovative measure or practice in the school, they're always encouraging. They would, you know, they would see how it fits in, what the kinks are, and we would develop it together. So uh, even with like uh, access cards, which people, they say that I'm the mother of access cards. (laughs) That's my baby because I literally develop the SOP, the standard operating procedure for it, mm. the the kinks that go with it. So <laughs> I'm, I, I literally like systemize the whole process. So yeah, that those were all, you know, reasons that uh, played in my head. But the two most important ones were, um, it is in Brampton, it's close by, it pays well, if not uh, the same as other jobs. And the second thing was, it felt like home. Yeah. So it was like convenience to the extreme almost. <laughs> yeah, literally. And although this wasn't in my, um, you know, this doesn't fit in my career. Mm. I, uh, it, you know, I am a person that enjoys helping people. And this role does provide me with that outlet. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it does uh, play on one of my passions, which is, which is what I also enjoy. And it made this the right move. Yeah, um, obviously, you mentioned that uh, you're the mother of access cards and you help make the system. So I guess, you know, any, anyone listening who wants to blame any issue with access cards, you know where to go now. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I'm Like, sure. Sorry, I was just about to say, like, sure likes to blame me for everything Mm -hmm. yeah anything access card related you know who to blame as well for that so yeah bring it on (laughs) bring it on my email is here (laughs) (laughs) but yeah yeah so moving on from uh, going to the working life right what Mm -hmm. things you know, I, I I don't know. I think it's very interesting to me the transition that kind of comes between working and studying. Uh, do you think you adapted well to it? 
Oh, no, not at all. Um, when I was uh, studying, I was just a peer tutor. So I was setting my own hours. And the biggest challenge for me was waking up at 7 a.m. and getting <laughs> dressed and ready for work. When uh, before all of that, before my you know journey into the corporate world began, I was uh, sleeping at 3 a.m. and waking up at 11 a.m. So <laughs> I, I was, yeah, I was a night owl. And now I, I can't even keep myself up awake after 12. Oh. It's that bad. I've, I've become an old person. Raza. But <laughs> don't worry, yeah, I'm old too. But, but seriously, yes, that was the biggest change. Uh, just, you know, keeping to the hours, uh, adding that discipline back into my life. Because also when you're, when you're living with family, uh, your parents would wake you up or your siblings would wake you up or there would be some noise in the house that might, you know, uh, get you to get up at a you know decent time mm. but when you're living alone if i don't turn on the light it will not turn on itself <laughs> nobody will turn it on for me so virtually i can sleep in the whole day and nobody would know or care yeah so yeah there is a lot of freedom that comes with it and so adding that discipline back into my life um and then also you know it was a bit challenging initially because from being a student to now being one behind the scenes, working in the same environment, mm -hmm. came with its own challenges. I had friends come to me in the office thinking that, you know, I would uh, make some concessions for them. And then I had to explain that, okay, you know, we are friends, but this is my professional uh, setting. And this is, you know, I cannot make these concessions for you. <laughs> De determining where personal and professional uh, relationships start and end. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was, you know, that was a bit of a challenge. Now, almost all my friends have graduated, so it doesn't happen anymore. No. But uh, that was uh, a bit of a new thing for me to deal with. And also with professors, because you're so used to, you know, <laughs> dealing with them in like a, a way that you're not, you're not, um, you're not, at, you're not equals. Mm. That's the right word. But now that I was staff, I was somewhat on the same footing as they were. So it was uh, definitely a change in the dynamics that uh, I used to have with uh, a lot of the faculty members. Yeah, because now you could be like, hey, do you want to go to lunch break together? But before it'd be like, oh, I yeah. see you're going on lunch break. <laughs> <laughs> have fun. Have fun. Exactly. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah, you know, so that that that's a huge, huge difference. Now I would have uh, professors emailing me and I would email them back without thinking twice of what I'm saying, because it would just be so direct. Yeah. But if I was a student, each word would be measured. Is this the right word I want to use? Yeah. Is this okay, you know? Am I repeating so, yeah, myself of... too much? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so all those considerations just get left behind because you're no longer uh, a student. So yeah. yeah. Well, you know. I hope that answers your question. I, I think it does. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it makes me, uh, you know, so I, I'm now really interested. So you said, you know, um, it wasn't exactly the way you pictured your career going, which I think, honestly, mm -hmm. the more I talk to people, that kind of is just like a really common thing. No one's career actually goes the same path they've pictured it like to 100%. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that makes me curious. Um, what do you see happening, not just professionally, but we'll, we'll talk professionally first. Um, what do you see happening in the next five years for yourself? 
Oh wow, that that is a loaded, loaded question. <laughs> of course. Uh, five years is is. Um, we- I mean, I hope to have uh, finished my masters. Mm-hmm. I don't know yet what I want to do my masters in. I was previously so determined to continue in the accounting field that I was like, I'm going to do the MACC. I'm going to give my CPA final examination once I'm done with it, and then hopefully join KPMG, EY, PwC, mm-hmm. either of those, right? Mm-hmm. But now that I'm in the field of academia or um, I'm in the field of universe, like the like this branch of administration, mm-hmm. I kind of enjoy it. It's, um, it's surprising, but, but I like, you know, my role. I like dealing with student issues. Uh, there, there's uh, a lot of uh, growth and uh, career opportunities in this field as well. I could possibly in the next five years be in Yuka's role. Mm-hmm. Who knows, right? Everybody is looking for opportunities of advancement. So, uh, if not the director, which I don't think uh, you become in five years, yeah. I would definitely see myself in uh, senior management and uh, within School of Business and Economics, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And hopefully with a master's degree, maybe I'd teach a few courses on the side. Who knows? Mm. Yeah, that was the thing I was going to ask. I was like, well, you could still do a master's and still teach on the side part time if you really wanted to. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, a lot of professors do that. They're teaching and they have their own side jobs. So I could maybe teach a course here or there and uh, also do my thing at school BE. Well, I mean, if you do uh, do your master's soon, you know, maybe maybe teach me a course. <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I want to do that. Right? I think we would just, I think the whole time we would just talk to each other yeah, in like, the entire class. We'd be like, accounting financials three? What? No. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally just imagine the entire class just looking at us as we, you know, have like a to and back conversation happening between the two of us. It's like it'd be fun. You can't deny that'd be the easiest class you teach. Um, <laughs> let's see. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, right? Well, uh, what about personally, right? So five years from now, um, you'll be twenty-two, right? Of course. Right. Of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. Where, do you, where do you see your life at twenty-two? Um, at twenty-two, <laughs> I hope to have my parents here with me, mm-hmm. and I hope to be a permanent resident by then, mm-hmm. or a citizen at least. You know, I don't want to be a temporary resident. With all the things that are happening, I feel that we are the worst hit. Oh yeah. Because nobody really cares for us, which is sad. We're taxpayers too, mm. uh, but with that, you know, before this gets too political, um, I would like to hopefully, you know, get permanent residency or citizenship, get my parents here, have my own house, have my own car, really establish myself here and uh, maybe get married. Who knows? Oh. But yeah, when, at 22. <laughs> you get know. married at 22, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's my official age, <laughs> Your official constant age. It never changes. Yeah, it never changes. <laughs> Life started and stopped at 22. Oh, Lord. <laughs> In 2022, I will still be 22. <laughs> oh, Lord. But yeah, so all of that, I really want to be an independent woman 
that has established herself mm. in the next five years and made a mark herself yeah those are definitely my goals yeah i mean i think that's pretty fair uh, very uh, aspiring goals you could say mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um i i found it really funny when you said uh you know we're taxpayers too because not to get too political but really the backbone of the canadian economy or well you could say one of the staples of the canadian economy is built on international students it's not just the tax they pay while in university, you know, VAT, uh, well, sorry, not VAT, uh, mm-hmm. HST, GST, uh, PST, right? And obviously yeah. income tax when they work and everything like that. It's also that they are essentially what is meant to fill the skills gap in the Canadian economy. Mm-hmm. So there, there's so Absolutely. much of the Canadian economy that depends on them. And then, for example, during the pandemic, when uh, normal domestic students got the uh it, it was like the serb for domestic students essentially and mm-hmm. international students were left in the cold again <laughs> yep that's right i know what you're talking about i don't quite remember i think it was a grant that they launched for domestic students yeah it might have been but yeah yeah but yeah that's right uh anywhere if you're not a citizen you're always treated worse and I guess it's the universal law of how countries deal with people. Mm. But uh, it's just not fair when you're contributing to the economy and yet you're made to feel like an outsider mm. or that you're not deserving. Oh, yeah. Uh, because you, we, all of us, you know, as a student or as a worker, we, we contribute to the economy as much or more, perhaps, mm. than our uh, Canadian counterparts. So it's just, uh, it's in poor taste, but that's just how... It is until, you know, there's there's change. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's definitely a very um, fair assessment of the situation to mm-hmm. say uh, in very moderate terms. Uh, yes. <laughs> you, you know, remember, let's keep it PC. <laughs> keep it PC. <laughs> <laughs> By keeping it PC, obviously, you mean that let's not keep it P at all. Just see. <laughs> 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 well, uh, yeah, you know, uh, we're we're near the end of our, uh, you know, what's been a very fantastic time so far. Um, obviously, at near the end, um, I'm not sure if you've paid any attention to the episodes that have been released before, but with the interview mm-hmm. episodes, there's always what is tended to be my favorite part of the interview you could say and it's essentially our signature question which is mm-hmm. so it, it's you know to give some backstory it's born out of a personal analysis that the greatest mistakes i made in my life and the greatest mistakes i've seen other people make in their lives have also been where they've learned the most right when it comes to anything mm-hmm. you really learn the most when you mess something up so essentially you know what is something that you made a mistake with that is a very significant mistake that has helped contribute very significantly to your life going forward in a constructive way oh wow interesting question i think uh wow i have to think (laughs) (laughs) i've never been able Uh, to phrase it consistently the same so there's like (laughs) a disconnect between every episode uh, every interview there's like is this the same question yes yes it is (laughs) (laughs) 
But uh, I mean, the gist remains the same. Uh, I think for me, it was uh, coming to Canada in the winter. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> but um, on a on a more serious note, uh, I think for me, my biggest mistake growing up, and this is I'm talking about when I was fourteen, uh, fifteen, I was uh, in high school, mm-hmm. was judging people and judging their worth by their grades. Mm. And this is also something that was inculcated in me because I would judge my worth by what I would get on a test or an exam. And uh, at home, our parents used to push us because they, for us, I don't know if you've experienced this, but for parents in Southeast Asia, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, to mention a few of the countries. Yeah, yeah. uh, yeah, parents really, really, really strive for academic excellence and in, in seeing that in their kids. Mm. So uh, my parents, although they're very laid back, always wanted to, you know, see 90s, if not hundreds on our report cards. And my sisters were also overachievers. Mm. So for me, even though I didn't get as much pressure as my older siblings did, I used to still feel it because I thought that I had to measure up to their success. Mm. And that trickled down into the way I would see and measure other people and uh, my interactions with them. So if somebody was getting a seven out of 10 on a test, I would say, Oh, this is maybe not somebody I want to associate myself with. (laughs) And it actually, it actually, unfortunately, this is very true. Like I'm being raw here. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, I lost out on uh, the years I could have had being friends with some awesome, awesome people. Mm. Because what happened is when I realized, I mean, this is when I'm talking about when I was almost finishing school, uh, I we used to have um, assigned seating in classrooms mm-hmm. and I was in a convent. So uh, the whole place was run by nuns. We were, they were extremely strict. So okay. we weren't really, yeah. yeah. So I was so far lucky. I mean, till grade 10, we had uh, the British system. So we had CIE till grade 11. This is school. Till grade 10, I was lucky that I was only, you know, I was sitting next to friends and I hadn't sat next to anyone I didn't want to be friends with or sit with or talk to or be associated with. But, you know, it happens. So it did. And I sat next to this girl uh, who I thought was not that smart and, you know, not my level. I was kind of a mean girl. Mm. And uh, we one day started talking and I realized that I had so much in common with her, so much, Raza, mm. that I literally that day, I was like, I could have been friends with this girl three years, four years ago. Mm. And I wasted all that time because in my head, I had an image built up of her that was so removed from reality that in the end, I only harmed myself. Mm. She thought I was just some stuck up girl that didn't want to talk to her. But in my head, I thought she didn't deserve my notice. Mm -hmm. So when I actually began talking to her and then her group of friends, and I realized that even in my group, there were people that were friends with her, but just wouldn't talk about them in front of me because they thought that I would deem them uncool. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I realized that I had just been a massive idiot. (laughs) And uh, I kid you not, to this date, those people, those friends of mine that I did not talk to for like, you could say the entire of middle school are my best friends. And they still hold it against me. They used (laughs) to have parties and you wouldn't invite us to them. And I'd be like, "I, I am such 
an idiot. Like I'm, I was stupid. I was dumb yeah. because grades and the numbers of, you know, your, your marks, sorry, they, they have no worth in the real world. When you go for a job interview, they only see that you've done your undergrad or that, you know, you got a decent GPA mm-hmm. and that's only for the preliminary assessment. And that's where your grades end. Nobody looks at, oh, you got an A plus or an A minus in business stats. Nobody cares. It's about how you project yourself and how you sell yourself, really. Yeah, it's about and being people, a person. About, exactly. And, and, and with people, it's about how you interact with them and how your personality is. So, yeah, that was my biggest mistake. You know, they say don't judge a book by its cover. I say don't judge people by superficial things. And uh I realized it late, but uh, I'm glad I did because if I hadn't, I would have missed out on more friendships mm. that I now have that I possibly wouldn't have if I didn't get that wake up call. Yeah, no, so, yeah. I think that's a pretty good one. I actually had a similar moment for myself, but I was on the, mm-hmm. I think I was more on the opposite side where I was a constant like 80s student. I was in like the 90s mm-hmm. student. I was like just an 80 student i never cared enough to get higher than that right but then you know i agree there's a lot of pressure in our culture to be associating with people who are you know at the peak and i just kind of yeah initially i was like okay that makes sense but then eventually it was like no way that's completely rubbish because you know i might not have the best grades right but I'm still like really fun to hang out with, right? If I do say so myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course you are. And you know what the funny thing is, Reza? Um, I had those friends come over the first time they did and they told my, like they were joking about it and they told my mom and my mom was shocked on my behalf. She was like, how could you do this? And I was looking at her and I was like, this is because of, she was like, no, you never do that. You never judge people like that. I was very confused, but I'm glad that I was able to get over it. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> we're now at the uh essentially at the end of our time so you know uh, i just want to ask if you have a couple of final things you'd like to say um well yes i would like to say work hard and study hard mm-hmm. because really there is no shortcut in life and good grades would only help you in the long run um really students i see international students come and just barely do the minimum, get the 60 and graduate. But you're paying a lot of money. You're you're spending eight months, you know, for a degree student, you're spending four years, you know, on this campus. Your parents are spending thousands of dollars. Make it worth their money and your time. Mm. Put in the hard work, get the grades, feel validated, and then hopefully you will you will get a great reward in terms of you know a perfect job or the right career for you but there is no shortcut to success and you need to put in the hard work because hard work always 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 shows hard work pays off essentially yeah Yeah, it it pays off so yeah Mm. and uh, be safe and stay safe and don't do anything I wouldn't (laughs) that's a lot (laughs) (laughs) yeah well still yeah uh, I get what you mean, though. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's fair. Do you want to? Is there anything you're doing that you want the people to know about? 
Well, right now I am attempting to make a 750 piece puzzle and I don't know if people would want to do that, <laughs> but it's not easy and it makes you want to bang your head against the wall mm -hmm. at times. But when you see it coming together, it feels very rewarding. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I, I hope that's on our uh, university Instagram page eventually then. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe I would. Oh, that's a good idea. See? In <laughs> come up with an awesome idea for uh, our pages so yeah mm. keep your eyes uh, you know peeled whatever <laughs> keep your eyes peeled <laughs> <laughs> well uh, i'd like to thank uh, everyone for listening i hope you guys had a fantastic time um i'd like to give a special shout out to all our sponsors especially rbc um if mm -hmm. you want to check our full list of sponsors it's on our website obsbrampton.biz um, feel free to leave us some information on what you thought about the podcast on any of our social medias, which will be at Ops Brampton or Ops BE. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. I hope you had as fantastic a time as I had recording this. Uh, stay safe and have a good day. <laughs>